Hey folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you audit your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down. My blood sugar is down. My weight's down. My health is up. My sleeping patterns are better. My metabolism is up. If you want to experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. And welcome to the Sunday Brunch Edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. We've got a dandy one for you today. Earlier this week, in partnership with AMAC, the Association for Mature American Citizens, we did the third interview in our 2024 Just the News AMAC Presidential Town Hall interview series. That's right. We already done Vivek Ramaswamy and Donald Trump last week. Those were two big newsy interviews. Today, you're going to get to hear from North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum. A lot of people may not know who he is, but when you listen to him, he's a man of substance, a man of vision. He has a lot of ideas. Go check out what he has to say and what he is fashioning as a vision for the future of America. A little bit of Reagan policies for him. Big champion of the Tenth Amendment. You're going to enjoy that. We're going to adapt the TV show special from Friday night on Real America's Voice to this podcast today. So sit back and listen. We'll take a quick commercial break. Now, before you do that, if you want to say thank you to AMAC, the Association for Mature American Citizens, because they support Just the News and John Solomon Reports and Just the News, No Noise, a television show, you can join as a member today. Match me on my five-year membership that I joined from AMAC. It pays for itself in a few short weeks, just with the discounts you're going to secure on products and services and travel. Then you're going to get the monthly magazine, the daily news, the opportunity to engage in civic partnerships through the AMAC Action Grassroots Arm. It's an amazing place. You're going to get to hang out with people like Rebecca Weber and Bobby Charles and so many others, Andy Mangione. If you want to do that, if you're inspired to do that, there's a very special offer that Rebecca Weber, who's co-hosting today's show with me, has set up. If you go to amac.us slash townhall and honor the townhall series, amac.us slash townhall today, if you go to that, you will remarkably be given a chance to get a five-year membership like I had, but at an unbelievable discounted rate of $35 total. You can't even get a single dinner in Washington, D.C. restaurant these days for $35. 
That is an amazing deal. Go do it today. Say thank you to AMAC and then reward yourself with all of the great things that AMAC brings to the table. All right. When we come back from the commercial break, our exclusive interview with Governor Doug Burgum of North Dakota, one of the 2024 presidential candidates as part of our Just the News AMAC presidential 2024 town hall interview series. We'll be right back after these messages. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome back, America. It's time to dive right into our conversation. It was hard to believe it's just a few short months ago when North Dakota's governor jumped in to the GOP presidential race. And then, very quickly, Americans got to know him, his substance and his policies. And today he is here joining us in the studio. Governor Doug Burgum, welcome. Good to have you here, sir. John, great to be with you. Great to be with you, Rebecca. Yeah, great honor to have you here, sir. We're going to start the first question with Rebecca. Go ahead, Rebecca. Thank you so much, Governor. We appreciate you joining us today. Millions of Americans were shocked and horrified by Hamas's brutal attacks on Israel, including the barbaric killing of at least 40 babies. Now, President Biden has been slow to respond. In fact, the administration's initial response was to urge both sides to refrain from violence and retaliatory attacks. If you are the commander in chief right now, what action would you take to confront radical Islamic terrorism, including Iran? Well, first of all, like all Americans, you know, our our hearts and prayers go out to the people of Israel. Uh, this is horrific. It's unthinkable. Rebecca, you talked about it. I mean, the idea that any of us a week ago thought that we'd be hearing reports of, you know, beheadings of babies, you know, innocent slaughter of people in their homes. Uh, this is... This is absolutely Israel's 9-11, only at a multiple much higher than than what we experienced here. And I think we all understand how that was etched into America's psyche. So this is a this is a wound that uh, is going to be there forever. But in terms of your question, uh, since we announced our campaign on June 7th, we said we're running on three things, economy, energy and national security and the key in national security. And we said, you know, what are the issues? And one of the issues is you can't just go after uh the, if I can use a business term, you can't go after the subsidiary companies like Hamas and Hezbollah if the parent company, uh, the regime that's running Iran, the one that's actually financing this, 
all of this terror around the world, the world's largest sponsor of state terrorism, that we continue to, with the Biden administration, to uh, you know try to make friends with them. I mean, the whole effort to try to revive what was the failed Obama-Iran nuclear deal is the Biden administration has been doing that. It's been hidden in different ways, but the $10 billion that got released earlier this summer that didn't even make the headlines in June, the $6 billion more recently on this, this so-called hostage deal, I mean, what what person in America would say, uh, I'm going to trade five of my team for five of your team, but I'll also throw in six billion dollars. I mean, that makes no sense to anybody. And part of it's because it's I really believe it's part of a, a, a secret revival of the Iran nuclear deal, which in 2015, there was a a law that was passed that said that it couldn't we couldn't do a nuclear deal with Iran unless Congress approved it. So the Biden administration, like they do in a lot of other things, trying to bypass the law to, you know, to try to get this deal done. And now this is it just comes home home to roost that this is happening. But the worst on top of all of this, which nobody is reporting and no one's talking about, is the fact that if you look at the oil exports coming out of Iran uh, in the last few months, they've skyrocketed where they're headed. They're heading to China. China's rebuilding their strategic petroleum reserve uh, with Iranian oil, and then billions, and it's estimated this could be $25 billion of revenue coming to Iran from the sale of oil and gas. And so if we have sanctions, they should be enforced. If we have the $6 billion, it should be refrozen. It should have been never unfrozen in the first place because, I mean, rule number one is don't negotiate with terrorists. And that's effectively what Joe Biden has been doing since he's been in office. And so it comes home to roost now, and it's whether it's our failure to have deterrence in Ukraine, which enabled Putin to, you know, to actually do his invasion. He would have never invaded Ukraine if he if he hadn't already had all of Western Europe dependent on his energy. So we we've got a uh, an administration that's bent on appeasement, whether it's the withdrawal from Afghan Afghanistan, whether it's the failure in of us to uh, to you know have deterrence in place to prevent Putin from going into Ukraine, and then now again negotiating and actually giving billions of dollars to our an enemy that attacks us every day from a cyber standpoint that's supplying Iran supplies weapons to Russia to attack uh, the people in the free people of Ukraine. And so it's like, why are we helping the people that are hurting us? And so this makes no sense to me. So your question is, is as president, obviously the thing I do is I would bring the fight to the parent company and I would make sure that if you're a, a Hamas or a Hezbollah agent anywhere in the world, these are global terrorist organizations, that there'd be no safe harbor for you anywhere because we have to, we have to eliminate the ability for these organizations to to extract terror against our allies. America is more prosperous and safe when our allies are more prosperous and safe, and an attack on Israel is effectively an attack on the United States. Thank you. Sir, I want to ask a little bit about Iran. We've been dealing with this uh, cycle of terrorism for 40, 50 years. In the Bergam administration, is regime change an ultimate goal in Iran for you? Well, you know, it's a... It's certainly something that uh, if you talk to people, I mean, I, I, I went to college with, with folks that were from Iran and they were here in going to graduate school when the Iranian revolution happened. And they, they went from, you know, prosperous families with, you know, ties with the U.S. to whatever, to essentially not knowing if they could pay their rent the next month. Right. I mean, and then their siblings and parents, whatever, trapped, uh, you know, behind the regime that's still in power now. And we see what the oppression that they do to women. And so it's a, 
it, it's a it's a tragedy when I think when we think about you know the human rights violations that are going on in that country with the regime who's really got a goal which is death to America and death to death to Israel, and so the, you know that is certainly certainly a challenge and I think that again right now when we're the idea that somehow we're giving them the billions they need to attack us and our allies yeah that has to stop yeah. The recent Hamas attack on Israel's border has caused so many Americans even greater concern about the security risks of our own porous border. 200,000 illegal migrants crossed last month alone. The Biden administration has begun installing more miles of the Trump border wall as president. What would you do to ensure that terrorists don't enter our country through the southern border? And also, what measures would you take to ensure that terrorists have not already entered? Well, Rebecca, I'm, I'm afraid on the, your last question is that we were too late. I mean, it's just unbelievable what's happened under the Biden administration. I've been down to the border more times than the president has. We've had troops down there, uh, multiple, multiple deployments. Uh, when I was there in August, we had two groups that were deployed, uh, one that was supporting Texas and trying to protect the border. The other was a group of our, our National Guard uh, airmen that were flying helicopter missions and leading that mission from San Diego to the Gulf Coast, specifically trying to stop these transnational criminal organizations. And think of it, in the time that Joe Biden has been in office, it's the equivalent, six and a half million people that have come across and been given asylum papers. Those are the ones we're processing. That's every man, woman, and child in the state of Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, Rhode Island, Joe Biden's home state of, of, of Delaware. And then you have to throw in Montana, everybody in Montana to get to six and a half. And I'm, I'm down there getting the briefing from the, the Border Patrol, and there's a, a number on there on the wall, I said, what's that? Well, that's the known gotaways. Known gotaways is people that they see on camera, but we don't have papers on. That's another million and a half. In the sector that we were in in Texas, there was people that had come in from over 100 countries. It's not just Latin America, 100 countries. And guess what? People on the, the terrorist watch list, people from, you know, people from Syria, people from Iran, people from China. I mean, all of the pe people that are our known enemies are entering our country, and they're actually using the, the Biden administration policies like family separation. Border Patrol said people come in and they may be a terrorist, known terrorist, affiliated with a terrorist, but they've got, they've got some youth with them that they claim as a family member, and then we can't separate them because we're, we're pursuing a policy that's not about national security. It's about a, a, an idealistic goal that, has, that is not making the nation more safe because you know what else is coming across the border? Fentanyl. Mm -hmm. And we've taken we're taking mass casualties. We have an invasion of people and we're taking mass casualties. The number now staggering number of overdose deaths in our country since Joe Biden took office is now approaching 270,000 deaths since he took office. That's 300 a day. That's equivalent of five Vietnam's worth of casualties. 70 percent of those are fentanyl overdoses. And if we had if we lost an airplane today with 300 people and then we lost another one tomorrow of Americans that went down. And then the next day, you know, by the time by the time we got four days out, no one, everyone would be calling your kids and your grandkids and your friends. Don't get on an airplane. We've got to have a solution to this. But when we lose them one at a time, a son, a daughter, a niece, a nephew, a mom or a dad to, an, to a fentanyl overdose, it's just, it's, just, it's just silently happening. This tragedy is happening every single day. And the Biden administration is really doing nothing about it. And so now only belatedly, because we had some liberal mayors like in New York City saying we cannot take 
you know, millions of more migrants. We can't afford this. It's bankrupting our cities. Does Joe Biden, you know, come up and say, oh, well, I guess we have to spend the money to, to do this. And then meanwhile, we're underfunding our border patrol, completely underfunding our border patrol. And then and then who would go into the border patrol? We've effectively, the federal government is effectively defunding the border patrol the way some of our liberal cities are defunding the police. Because why would you go into a field of law enforcement if you don't get to do it? They, when we were down there, the only troops on the border were our troops from our from my home state. It, because do you know where the border patrol were? They were back at a soft-sided facility, aka a tent, burning through $20 million a month processing these hundreds of thousands of people that you're talking about, they're doing paperwork, not computer work. They're doing paperwork. They didn't go into law enforcement. They, so if you say, what would you do to control the border? Because we cannot have national security without border security. I will be down there in the first two weeks. Biden didn't get down there for the first two years. And we will actually empower the Border Patrol to do their job. Because if they've, they've secured the border before, they could secure it again if they have the money, the technology, and the staffing to do it. But guess what? The cartels on the other side have so much money. They've got drones. They're making tens of millions of dollars a week on human trafficking, the spot where I was at, where people were literally walking across the river, they don't just, oh, we picked a shallow spot. No, the cartel says, we control this spot. You can't cross here. Give me all the money you have left in your pocket. Some of these people made it to the border after a long journey. Seven and a half million people have fled Venezuela, and then they get there, and then they get extorted for, you know, take a thousand bucks out of their pocket to walk the last 150 yards. Why? Because they know that when they get to our side, then the, the Joe Biden administration is going to give them a bus ticket and, and basically some promise that they've been sold that's going to happen on our side of the river. So it is, the thing is, the biggest unreported crisis going on in our country, and now with these other global affairs, it'll get buried again. But every single day, this is a humanitarian crisis. It's a national security crisis. It's an economic crisis. It's unbelievable to me that this is not that there's not coverage on this crisis every single day. Don't go anywhere, folks. We got a lot more with Rebecca Robert and I right after these messages. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Sir, I want to talk about an issue that almost never gets discussed in the national media. Uh, rural America has so many challenges ahead of it right now. You have foreigners buying up uh, farmland. You have healthcare access that's really spread out very thin in rural areas. You've got the price of diesel making everything from the pickup truck to the tractor a lot more expensive. Give us your assessment of what's going on in rural America and what policies you would do to address their needs. 
Well, I, I can tell you one place where rural America is doing great, and yeah. that's in my home state. Uh, we've got the highest GDP of any Republican-led state in the nation. Uh, we've, we have uh, got the highest uh, workforce participation of any state in the yeah. nation, across 70%. We've got among the lowest unemployment. Our population is growing. It's getting younger. People are you know, building families. Our cities are thriving. So our education scores are among the highest SAT median scores in the nation. So we've got a lot going on. But that's not to say we don't have challenges. But having grown up in a small town and uh, in, in, in leading uh, a, a state and having you know, built a global company with kids from small towns, I really understand it. And I know from being on the ground in Iowa, New Hampshire, everything you're saying, John, is absolutely true. I mean, again, you, you mentioned just diesel. I mean, diesel is part of what rural America runs on. And whether and whether you're a lobsterman in New Hampshire or a farmer in Iowa, they'd all like to be getting 20% off on their diesel tomorrow. But no, I mean, our sanctions turned Russia into China's discount gas station. So China's getting, you know, discounted oil and gas, but not not Americans. But it is a, it's a challenge. One of the things is the challenge is, is uh, you know, healthcare and healthcare services in rural areas. But we've come up with innovative ways, uh, you know, with even with the disease of addiction. Uh, there weren't enough addiction counselors. We created a program in our state where now we have over a thousand peer support specialists. They get paid more if the clients they work with get a place to live get a driver's license and get a job. So we've got incentives. Okay. And when I say lived experience, they may actually have come out of the criminal justice system with a felony because they ended up as a felon because of a nonviolent drug charge. Uh, and But we, in North Dakota, we understand that addiction is a brain disease and that we, can, we have to address it like a health care problem and, and that we've got people helping people. So it is, there's a lot of ways we've lowered the cost, improved the services, created jobs for folks. Uh, and so we've got a lot to say. We've got a Main Street initiative in our state, too, where we're focusing on, on smart infrastructure, vibrant downtowns, uh, workforce infrastructure. And, and again, and, and even in rural areas, one of the biggest challenges is child care. And we came up with innovative programs to support women entrepreneurs. Uh, to make sure that those people that want to work have access to affordable, high quality, uh, and and uh, and really high quality and accessible and safe childcare for their families. And so, when we do that, uh, you know, that's one of the ways that we've been able to achieve the, the workforce challenge, which our whole nation is a challenge. But we got college educated women that want to work. Let's make sure that they've got the infrastructure to be able to do that for them and their families. Innovation Network. That's yes. What's going on now. Excellent. Governor, hundreds of the AMAC members submitted questions for this interview. AMAC is the conservatives' alternative to AARP. We have a great question from Nikki Coletti in Glendale, Arizona, and she asks you, how would you rectify the national debt and would you bring oil independence back to the United States? Well, great question, Nikki. And, and yeah, the debt is it's just it's such a big number that it's hard for people to get their head around when we we throw out numbers like you know thirty three and a half trillion dollars, but I was looking the other day if if I was going to pay each of you a dollar every second and I just started picking off a dollar every second, it would take me almost thirty two thousand years wow. to hand you a trillion dollars. Yeah, puts it in perspective. I mean, yeah. it's like it's like, it's like even that is like wow. I mean, thirty two thousand years is hard to get your head around. I mean, this is like ge- almost like geologic time, but it's yeah. it's these are just massive numbers. But we have a big economy, and one of the ways that we can get that debt taken care of is we've got to get our economy sprinting instead of crawling. It's crawling right now and it needs to be sprinting. So high growth, we don't we 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 can reduce federal spending for sure. In North Dakota when I became governor, we cut 27% out of the general fund. Not slowed growth, 
not grew a little less. So we actually took a number and made it lower, 27% lower on spending and never, every train still left on time. And how did we do that? Well, part of it's because my background, I mean, I'm, I'm not a politician. I mean, I was a business leader and had 30 plus years of experience in the tech business. I mean, in that last debate, I was the only one on stage that has been making payroll since my mid twenties. I'm the only one that's created thousands and thousands of high paying jobs. And when you do that and you're in the software business where there's where there, there's no tariffs and there's not subsidies. I mean, the part of the software business I was in, it was just like raw competition. You had to be better, faster, and cheaper the next day. Bringing that mentality to government, you can take out all kinds of costs out of government. Every, every, every single job and every single agency at the state and federal level, there's 10 to 20% of what those well-meaning team members are asked to do that adds no value to any citizen, and they know it. So it becomes mind-numbing, soul-sucking work. Uh, you know, to do this. So back on Nikki's question, I mean, one of the things that is crazy, we've got this big deficit right now. And the America has 240 million acres of federal land. Theodore Roosevelt, the father of modern conservation, put that land away and specifically said for the benefit and the use of the American people. That is on our balance sheet. The largest landowner in America is is actually America. The largest mineral owner in America, it's not an oil company, it's America. And whether that's rare earth minerals, whether it's uranium for nuclear, whether it's oil and gas, the largest is the United States. And the Biden administration wants to shut it down and say that asset is off limits. We're going to buy it all from our enemies. And guess what? They don't produce it as cleanly as we do. If you cared about the environment, you would want to have every ounce of, of liquid fuels. You'd want to have every electron of electricity. You'd want everything produced here in America because we produce it cleaner, safer, and better than anyone else. When we, when we try to shut down the U.S. energy industry, it does not reduce demand. It just displaces supply. It takes American supply and gives it to some foreign entity who is not operating with the same goals. China is the largest polluter in the world. United States is taking more CO2 out of the air than any country on the planet. Why would we shift our future towards uh, all EVs? Why would we subsidize 500,000 charging stations and subsidize EV cars and then buy our batteries from China, who controls 85% of the rare earth minerals, and then they're the ones that are now running their economy on coal. They're opening up a coal plant every week. So, so for Nikki's question, yes, energy, it's not just energy independence, it's energy dominance. Because with energy dominance, then we're supplying ourselves and all of our allies. That helps push back on these dictators. It stabilizes the world. It lowers inflation. It brings manufacturing jobs back. It, it does all of that. And, and again, I mean, just another example of the craziness where the Biden administration, at the time of the Russian invasion, we were importing 400,000 barrels of oil a day into New England of dirty rushing heating oil. Why were we doing that? Because you can't, under the Biden administration in the state of New York, you can't get a permit for a pipeline from natural gas from Pennsylvania up into New England. New, New Hampshire, people in New Hampshire, 41% are still heating their homes with, with heating oil. Mm. It, just right away, if you care about the environment, let's switch that over to you know, clean natural gas. Let's just do that. But we can't get it done because the people that want to save the environment block the pipeline. And when they block the pipeline, then we start buying from Russia. I mean, it does. It's, it's just we, we need to have someone in the White House who understands the economy, understands system economics and understands how we can solve this. Because Nikki's question is, we've got to we've got to balance the budget and we can do that without raising taxes. We do that by cutting spending. It's, we don't 
don't have a, we don't have a revenue problem. We've got a spending problem. And on the revenue side, developing our energy, I mean, her question was perfect, could develop the energy and it drives revenue in for the American people. It's our balance sheet. It doesn't belong to a bureaucrat in the Biden administration who's unelected. It belongs to the American people. Let's use it to support ourselves, support freedom and support our allies. Sir, I know you've done a lot of thinking. When I went out to the Midwest in the summer, uh, it, when you talk about Washington, it might as well be a foreign country to most people. They feel like, oh, that's the weirdest place in the world. And yet it's our capital. What would you do to restore trust in government while shrinking it? And do block grants play a big role in your idea of shrinking bureaucracy and getting government closer to people? Uh, absolutely. And I'm John, I'm also going to go back because you mentioned in your multi, multiple question thing about rural America and yeah. selling in North Dakota. Uh, a corporation can't own farmland. Wow. You and I couldn't own farmland. You and I couldn't say we're going to start a business and right. do that. We can do that. Well, and that's been in place for over a hundred years. We strengthened that this year to make sure everybody absolutely understood. I mean, so there's no foreign country, right. there's no foreign corporations, there's no U.S. corporations that own farmland, even, right? and we protect that asset for America. We have to have food security as part of our national, our, our, our national security. Yeah, that's important. That's so back important. to this question. Yeah, block grants and shrinking yeah. government. Yes, it will. Absolutely. I mean, if this is it's a ten, I'm a 10th Amendment guy. 10th Amendment, 28 words. These are the powers that are delegated to the federal government. And people forget that because it doesn't say actually in there who delegated it to the who delegated it to the federal government. Well, the states delegated it to the federal government because the original states created the federal government and they created the federal government with limited powers. And then it goes on to say, and those that are not specifically delegated to the federal government, you know, are reserved to the states or to the people. Importantly, both of those things, because the federal government not only is doing is in the lane of the states. And I have a front row seat as a governor where we're fighting right now on 20 different fronts on rulemaking. These aren't laws coming out of Congress. These are unelected bureaucrats in the Biden administration that are racing the clock to try to drive all this stuff through. And when they say it's a rule coming out, that rule might be 800 pages long. And it's a thousand rules. It's not one rule, but we're releasing the new rule. And it's a, a euphemism to make you think it's like a simple thing. Right. And so we've got every agency in our state working together. We're suing the federal government. We're the tip of the spear. We've won on the waters of the USA. We won on blocking them. They, this is the first administration since Harry Truman that hasn't held the, the legally required quarterly lease sales on Bureau of Land Management land for oil and gas minerals. When they're blocking that, they're actually driving inflation because they're driving up, they're shutting down U.S. production, they're displacing it to someplace else. So we fought, we're fighting and winning on all these things in North Dakota, but it's a, the block grant is, I mean, Department of Education, uh, I'm, I agree with I agree with Ronald Reagan on a lot of things. He was the first president to say, let's get rid of the Department of Education. That was when he was running in 1980. I mean, let's get this thing done. Yeah. That That's not a charter in the federal government for them to be running education. Education is state and local. And we could drive that money. But in North Dakota, half of our of our own state department of education. You know what they do? It's people that are sorting their way through all these federal grants because they tie all these ideological rules to the money that's coming out, strip all that away. States get to decide that. If you want it, you either don't send the money or if you do, just send it as a block grant. And then and then actually get the federal government, wait, Department of Energy based in DC, anybody producing energy here? I don't think so. You know, maybe that should be relocated to Texas. I mean, you know, how about Department of Agriculture? Maybe that could go to Iowa. I mean, it's, it's like the idea that somehow it needs to be here 
and I you know and I do give you know credit. I mean Ryan Zinke when he was Department of Interior, he did yeah. get part. There's almost zero federal land in the eastern part of the state, and he got a portion of the Bureau of Land Management relocated to Western Colorado, so the people that work there might actually understand what it's like to be on on the land or from the land. Or, or or get on federal land because it's just, you know, and of course the buildings here, most of them are empty because people are still working remote. But yeah. it's like, if I guess we're proving that they don't have to be in DC if they can work from home. So let's get them back out closer to our country. If you were a company, you would not consolidate, you wouldn't have all your team members working at corporate headquarters or, you know, you would, you'd get them out to where your customers are. I mean, that just makes sense. So part of this is return the power to the states, return the power to the people, shrink the size of the federal government, take out that waste that's in every single job in every single agency, you could get rid of 20% of the federal employees and not miss a beat just by redesigning the work, because that's what that's what industry has to do. Right. Yeah. Excellent. I do want to stay on the economy just a moment here. Uh, despite President Biden's claim that his policies are restoring the American dream, a recent Pew Research poll revealed that six in 10 Americans believe that life is worse for them today than it was 50 years ago. What would you do to restore economic optimism? I think this is a, an important question. Well, absolutely it is. And we have to have leadership that can paint a vision of how the American dream is still alive and how people, we, we, we could be entering a golden age right now of technological advancement. And I know that with your, uh, with the folks that you work in your amazing organization that are, you know, older in life or more years under the belt, more wisdom. I mean, one of the things that's really remarkable right now is all the advances that are coming in healthcare. I mean, we're going to have breakthroughs in the next five or 10 years where we could actually eliminate entire disease classes. I mean, the the, the, the opportunity for America to finally achieve breakthroughs uh, because of what's happening in technology and AI is really, really remarkable. So that's exciting. But of course, we don't talk about that because we end up talking about all the issues. In our campaign, we, we know that if we do the executive branch right. I've seen it in North Dakota. If you do it right, you can improve every American life. Every age, everybody can improve. And then we also say, what do we do in North Dakota? We focus on bringing out what we call we call the best of America, which is, you know, where are the examples of cities that are safe and where education is doing well and where neighbors are helping neighbors and it doesn't involve federal dollars and federal grant dollars. That's happening every day in our country, but nobody talks about it. Part of the bully pulpit is focusing back on what's working in America, not just the things that aren't working, because we have a ton of things that are that are absolutely, totally uh, working fantastically in our country. Don't go anywhere, folks. We got a lot more with Rebecca Marabar and I right after these messages. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
sir. We have another question from NAMAC member. This one sent by video. Scott Kosteraz of Wisconsin asked a question. Let's listen. Moving forward, how does conservatism, such as limited government, individualism, traditionalism, and the preservation of traditional institutions, customs, and values fit into the Republican Party? Thank you. That's a good question, Governor. Well, it's a fantastic question, and uh, it's great that you've got be able to bring viewers right in with this. Uh, it's uh, the benefit of the yeah, AMAC partnership. Way to go, yeah. AMAC. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I just want to say to, say to the, the questions asked is this, this is the core. I mean, this is what our country is built on. Our country was built on a set of aspirational ideals, and we do have uh, some detractors in our country that feel like uh, that they should be apologizing for our country when we've set aspirations higher than any country in the history of the planet. We have lifted more people around the world, American capital markets, American free markets, American principles, and American technology have lifted a billion people out of abject poverty in the last 25 years. That's never happened in the entire history of our planet. We should be celebrating America every single day for what we've achieved, not only for people here, but the aspiration that we have for people around the world. And, and we still were in a position of we're going to be competitive to win the Cold War with China. We've got to get our economy sprinting to do that. We've got to be a country where we can attract capital and where we can attract talent and still all the best and the brightest in the world, if they had a chance to come someplace, it would come here. But why would they come here? Because uh, as your the listener said here, you know, the principles that we stand for, freedom and liberty. And we have to remember that. And the Republican Party's got to make sure too that we that we understand that, that we don't we well we object to the overreach of the other side. We've got to make sure that we maintain our trust in the people because we don't need we don't need a rule for every little thing. I and mean, we've got to, we've got to get it back to local control. I mean school boards, libraries boards. And we're seeing a lot of great activism where people are getting engaged and running for these positions and in their communities. And, and that's that's what it takes. We've got to get parents involved. We've got to make sure that we've got choice for parents. You know, all these things can happen at local level. But that's that. But again, with the 10th Amendment, that's not the, the president. The president of the United States has got things that he's got to focus on relative to the economy, relative to energy policy, and relative to national security. Because you get those three things right, and that empowers, you know, every other aspect of what's going on in this country. Excellent. Now, Social Security is currently on track to be insolvent by 2033, and that would mean a 23% cut in benefits for seniors. Uh, Congress has not acted. If they don't act, we're going to see this happen. As president, what would you do to ensure and protect Social Security? Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to come honor 100% the promise that we've made to the American people who've been paying into the system. We have to honor that. We owe them that. But, you know, I'm saying but because, but if we honor that promise, pretending like this cliff that's coming that you've described that I, first time I've actually had someone bring this up, you know, in the entire time I've been campaigning, that we've got a thing that's going to happen, this 23% cut if you do nothing. Because people act like doing nothing is honoring the promise. To honor the promise, we have to do something. And whether that's, you know, let's take people that haven't been born yet. I mean, I mean, how about people that are under the age of 18? They've never paid in a dime. I mean, could we have a discussion about how things might have to change for them? Because if you're under 18 with all these advances I'm talking about, you're likely going to live to be 100. Yeah. 
whatever challenges we have from an actuarial standpoint get worse when lifespans get longer. And we're heading into an increased period of lifespans. So if people want to just bury their head in the sand and say, oh, we're going to, by not talking about it, we're going to honor and protect those individuals. That We're not honoring that. To honor those people, we have to say, to make that promise, we have to figure out how do we add dollars to the system to make sure it's solvent, but how do we change it so that future generations aren't saddled with ba- really bankrupting our country because we're making a promise you can't keep. These promises work when people have today's lifespan, not when their lifespan gets increased by 10 or 20 years. And so we've got, and the other thing is we've got to get the economy growing because one of the ways that you get to solve the financial problems of our country is with high growth. And we can get high growth by cutting red tape. And that's in, in, you know, as much as lowering taxes and as much as other things you do, you get rid of regulation. That is a burden on every American family, every small business, every state, and in North Dakota this last year, we passed 51 red tape reduction bills. We started crowdsourcing ideas from the public. How is government getting in your way? Send us your ideas. We'll incorporate it into what we're doing. We've added a strategic planning process, not just a budgeting process. Budgeting processes are about uh, uh, inputs. Strategic planning is about outputs. What's the outcome we want to have? How do we want to provide a secure financial future for our citizens? That's the strategy. Okay, what's the budget we need to fulfill that? Not the other way around, which is, oh, we have a budget crisis. Let's lurch to that for another six weeks. I mean, we're always letting the budget drive the strategy. In business, you've got to have strategy drive the budget. That's why we need a business leader in the White House. That's why you've got to have somebody who understands the economy and understands technology and understands the impact it's going to have on all of the programs that we're have. But I, I we would lead like what we've done in North Dakota. We, we, we made a solemn commitment to our to all of our state employees that, hey, we're going to honor your defined benefit plan, but we're also closing it. And we're going to have a competitive 401k plan for new new team members that come to work for the state because that's how we can compete to get the best and the brightest. If they want to have a, a service-oriented, purpose-filled job, you know, working in, an, in, a, in a leaner, smarter agency that's actually doing fulfilling work, you know, that's helping the citizens, whether it's working on the highway patrol or working in game and fish. I mean, but we, we, we've got to be competitive with the private sector. Government can't run like it's like it's its own little thing. I mean, the jobs report last month. Everyone's like, oh, the jobs report was great. 76,000 of those jobs were government jobs. That's not the direction we need to go. Yeah, no, no doubt. Sir, it's hard to believe that the hour is going by so quickly. I want to throw one last question at you because I think a lot of people look out over the horizon. They think it is one of the defining questions for our country in the next uh, generation. China, aggressive, growing economic competitor, sometimes a security competitor. What is your plan for dealing with China and everything from fentanyl, where they create the precursors, all the way through the economic competition we face? Well, the first thing we need to understand is the competition we're in, which is that when we started, I was the only candidate saying every stop, we're in a Cold War with China. The Biden administration still hasn't said that. We are in a Cold War with China. We're also in a cyber war with China, and we're in a cyber war every day. And now it's becoming more apparent because of the collaboration between Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea, exchanging arms, exchanging plans, having these unlimited levels of cooperation between each other. But those four countries attack America every day from a cyber standpoint. And when I became governor, I was shocked coming from the technology thing that we virtually had almost no cyber protection for the citizens' data. We've built up one of the strongest cyber teams in the country. We're now helping some neighboring states. Uh, We've required that we've got to have appropriate uh, education on cybersecurity 
starting in kindergarten. We're like, well, we've got people that use devices that are connected to the internet when you're starting in elementary school. They need to understand if I'm going to do a report and you say, well, that's just crazy. We have now had a thing that's been declassified in North Dakota. I can talk about it. But the North Koreans were in a K-12 school system that was a few miles from the Canadian border into the power school where the grades are kept. Why were the North Koreans in there? They were in there because the parents of those kids worked for the North Dakota National Guard. And what did they do? They have the permanent ground mission protecting the 150 anti-ballistic intercontinental missiles that are pointed at North Korea are in North Dakota. Okay, so they were in trying to get access to nuclear, you know, information, secrets, Amazing. passwords, whatever, of the parents through a school system. So we we've said this is a wake up call, and we've got to do this. And then you call the DoD when this happened, you know, X number of years ago, and they're like, "Wow, we're short tens of thousands of cyber people." You know, sort of, they, they can't send the cavalry out to help you. Uh, so every state has been on their own. So we're we're like literally forget it's not coming through the federal government, the Department of Defense. We had at school districts that were directly being attacked by the by North Korea. So this, this is like wake up America. We're in a cyber war every day. So and China is also, of course, obviously supporting. They're the reason why North Korea still exists. So they're the, the parent company, China, subsidiary North Korea. Uh, and so we have to get smart diplomatically, information wise on the cyber stuff, militarily and economically. And the, and the biggest tool we have is energy. China with one point four billion people. They don't produce enough energy to support their country. They don't produce enough food. That's why they've got the world's largest Navy, because they're trying to protect their oil lanes, their sea lanes, their food lanes. They're doing that. But we've got a lot of tools. And we've had four members of the Biden administration there this year. None of them have brought up in China. They didn't all get to meet with the president. One of them did. But, you know, they were they weren't they never brought up energy because energy is the biggest tool we have. That country is completely dependent on importing energy every day. Like I said, largest importer in the world. That's a tool. They import food every day. They've got a rising unemployment. It's into the 20s, 20% plus unemployment for their youth unemployment. And, and they're vulnerable right now. The debt they have, the real estate crash they're heading. I mean, we have an opportunity, but we've got to have a whole of government approach to how we deal with China and deal with that from a, from a position of strength. Yeah, so important. Governor, we're going to start. Where, uh, we're going to finish where we start. I'm going to leave the last question to my distinguished colleague. Excellent. Right. One question that's so important to so many Americans, especially Christians like me, is the issue of life and protecting the sanctity, sanctity of life. Um, where do you stand uh, specifically? You've signed strong legislation in North Dakota to stop the harmful practice of abortion, but have made it clear that you don't support national legislation. Could you help our vote, your voters understand why you opposed federal legislation? Well, ab absolutely. But let's start with the fact that I'm a pro-life governor from a very pro-life state. Uh, and North Dakota's done a great job of protecting life in North Dakota. The, but when we take a look at the Tenth Amendment, which I mentioned earlier, you know, it is specifically said what these certain, you know, certain things are delegated to the federal government. And I worry deeply that this is an issue because I support Dobbs that return it to the states. We fought for 50 years, get it returned to the states. Each state is settling in on what works for them. And then now people that fought for 50 years are running for president that said, well, I'll do I'll do this federal thing. But at the same time, we're running against 
a Biden administration that does oversteps the federal role all the time. And I, I trust that the states will get this figured out. I trust it'll sort in. And I know that what works in New York will never work in North Dakota and vice versa. What works in North Dakota doesn't work in Minnesota. I mean, so it's, this has got to be, it has to be sorted out uh, at that level. And, and then we have to remember that the, the limited role the federal government includes trusting the states. We have 50 platforms uh, of innovation, if you will, and we're going to have some variances. But I understand how important this issue is. I understand how important it is in North Dakota. And, uh, and again, you know, we've signed legislation every session uh, that have advanced this cause in North Dakota. But it's a this is something that has to be left to the states. Thank you. That's exactly what the founding fathers probably intended. Uh, Governor, I want to thank you so much for spending so much time get, helping us to get to know you, your policies. And I think some people realized how much they got gypped during the debates when they cut off your mic. They would have got a lot more substance <laughs> if they just let you talk. What a great honor to have you here today, sir. Well, great to be with you, John and Rebecca. And uh, and and again, th thanks for not threatening to cut my mic no, off. We would never <laughs> do that. Uh, we could go, if we had another and, hour, we'd and, keep and, going. And of course, of course, I mean, it's interesting to get threatened to get cut off when I was trying to answer the questions that no one else was. I mean, the exactly. only I'm the only tech guy yep. up there and they're asking AI, then I'm the only I'm leading energy state. And, and then can I answer the energy question? Can I answer the tech question? Cut I, the subject oh, I'm the only guy that's created jobs. Can I answer the economy yeah. question? Uh, so but we're uh, we're happy warriors and we're, we're happy to be in this battle and grateful for the time that we had here with you today. Well, I Thank think you. American voters are, too. They love these sort of opportunities to have a discussion about this. What a great honor. Rebecca and I are going to be back in a few seconds. We're going to throw in a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome back, America, to this, our third special in the Presidential Town Hall interview series. Rebecca, we just had an incredible conversation with North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum. Um, I was really surprised by a lot of the uh, thought he's put into national security and some of the national security issues that he's dealt with in uh, North Dakota. I'd never heard before the North Korean infiltration of that school district. Shocking to think that, you know, in a small town in the middle of America, there was a national security incident going on we didn't know anything about. Knew nothing about that. I, I truly was impressed. I thought he, his love for country, anybody who listens to him, you can see this is a man who absolutely loves America absolutely. and believes in smaller government, more power to the people. Uh, he's got a pretty impressive track record there in, in North Dakota. He said he uh, has... Uh, reduced spending by some 27%. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's a good that's something good for people to look at to say he can do it. Um, 
uh, he cares very much about people, and he's got some good solutions, John. I, I, I like some of his ideas. Yeah, some of the stuff he talked about with mental health and drug counseling, uh, even giving felons a second chance to get in, and they provide a lodging and things to lure people there so that they have the proper counseling staffs there to deal with the fentanyl crisis. Um, that's one of the new innovative ideas that a lot of people have been talking about in North Dakota. Energy, big on energy, uh, big on the 10th Amendment. He brought up the 10th Amendment maybe three or four times, states' rights, and I think his idea for shrinking government, which everybody's talked about but no one's accomplished in recent years, uh, the idea of using block grants to send the money back, get rid of the bureaucrats in Washington, in some cases, move whole agencies to the middle of America. I bet that's pretty popular in a lot of parts of this country. Absolutely. Very interesting ideas. And he was thrilled, John, that he, his mic didn't get cut, <laughs> yeah. that we let him speak, that he yeah. could speak on the issues of economy and national security. Yeah. So it was really, really very interesting. Yeah, listen, I think people want to be able to make up their own mind and too much of the debates and the sound bites in the national news media cut off that ability. They, they want to either control the conversation, make themselves part of the story if you're a journalist. And here, we just let the candidate give American people uh, what they really think and you get a lot of ideas that way it's uh, I was really impressed by the substance something else that uh, struck me in the course of the conversation uh, he really understands the China threat and uh, he talked about in North Dakota banning foreigners mm. and corporations as cutouts to buy up farmland but he mentioned food security very few uh, candidates are talking about that but when I talk to the intelligence community that is something that's always on the top of mind yeah, he, he sees the risks there and understands that we need to address uh, China. And, and and going after, what did he say, the, the parent, not the subsidiary. That's right. Understand that China Same is pulling a lot of levers here. Same thing with Iran. Uh, I love, too, it was so inspirational when he reminded us all that over a billion people have been pulled out of abject poverty because of democracy, because of this great country, and uh, because of America. And so there was real optimism in his voice and a reminder that every American deserves to grow old, retire with dignity, and have a long, good life with access to good quality health care. Make sure the benefits that you've paid into all these years are, are that you're getting your Social Security money. And uh, he's not afraid to, to come up with new ideas and solutions and think differently for the future. You know, uh, obviously a politician, but an outsider in his own mind and certainly coming from the business world, a lot of business-oriented solutions, very similar to what we heard from President Trump, former businessman, and Vivek Ramaswamy, all three of them approaching the shrinking of government like a CEO would approach it, not like a politician or a longtime member of Congress would. Um, another thing that I think really struck me, uh, energy independence, and he talked about, listen, you can reduce carbon emissions, if that's the goal of some people, without wrecking the economy, and he talked about just getting people off of Russian oil in the Northeast and maybe you're substituting it with natural gas. One, you get security and you bring down carbon emissions. Uh, I think he's going to be one of the guys in the, in the next few weeks that really move the energy debate forward. I don't know if you walked away with some impressions. I that. do feel that way and we need, we certainly need, need that. And you know, John, his approach, I think, is because he's a businessman. As you've mentioned, there is a different perspective. There's a different approach, I think, when you've been in business. And he did mention that he's the one guy who, who has a lot of business experience, not yeah. quite as young as Vivek. Uh, and uh, does take that approach. We saw that with Donald Trump. We saw how that made a difference. So it's interesting. I think American people like to see uh, that diversity among the candidates. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, I remember in the Vivek Ramaswamy interview, he talked about if you're going to start uh, cutting government, you go to a zero-based budget. That's a CEO idea. That's right. And here today, all the ideas of spurring economic growth, uh, bringing power back to the states, getting government out of places it doesn't belong, the 10th Amendment, you see a CEO's mentality in all of that. It was, it was really no 
noticeable today. And I, I didn't know that much about his approach until today. I really felt like I learned a lot from the conversation. Rebecca, this partnership is so important to us here at Justin News and Real America's Voice. We love everything we do with AMAC. Today's a very special day for people who want to join the AMAC community because they love what we just accomplished here today. What's the best way for them to do that? Sure, go to amac.us forward slash town hall to take advantage of a limited time offer, five-year membership for 35 bucks. Wow. You're going to save more just by taking advantage of the great member benefits you mentioned. You get this great magazine delivered right to your mailbox, and we're going to be your voice in Washington advocating on behalf of conservative Americans. Uh, you can participate in the national dialogue. We encourage people to get along, uh, get involved. So please visit us at amac.us forward slash town hall. You can't even get a dinner in Washington, D.C. for $35. That's how good a deal it is. All right, folks, go check that out. I want to thank you for watching tonight. We'll be back Monday with regular programming. God bless and good night.